0: Welcome to Coffee in a Conversation, everybody. Thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, With me, I have a author and writer, Jack Buckby, this evening. And uh, Jack is a writer and researcher from the United Kingdom and a research associate for the Frontier Center for Public Prophecy. His latest book, Monster of Their Own Making, describes his experience as a young working class man in Northern England when he became active in Britain's biggest white nationalist party. He describes how young men were compelled to join the ranks of extremists off the backs of legitimate grievances relating to immigration, the economy, and social pressure. His most recent research paper also analyzed how politicians of all stripes have used the COVID pandemic to advance extremist policy agendas. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me. It's great to be on.
0: So a monster of their own making. I described it slightly there a little bit for you, uh, for a little bit of our listening audience and our live viewership. Um, can you explain a little bit what prompted you to write uh, the book?
1: Yeah. So, I, first, first thing to say is that I'm not ashamed to say that I consider myself a, a largely a conservative person. It's quite common for people who leave the far right to join the ranks of the far left, and that's something I haven't done and something I will never do. And so I wrote this book because I felt like I'm, I don't think I'm one uh, of a kind. I don't think I'm a a rarity, but I think a lot of people who get wrapped up in genuinely extreme politics um, and who later leave it do find themselves sitting on the sort of conservative end of the political spectrum. And right. I think that's a natural sort of position to find yourself in. When you're young, for, for many different reasons, as we, I'm sure we can talk about, you can find yourself in these extremist movements and oftentimes it's a sort of exaggerated version of who you really are. And so right. it makes sense that if you're joining the ranks of the far right um, that maybe you're, you know, that something my politics told you teacher told me when I was 17 years old, he said, Jack, you're a conservative. And he was right. And what I, I recognized and what I saw is that I think it's extremely damaging to make it appear as though the only path out of radicalism is to join radicalism on the other side or join extremism on the other side. And I felt like that wasn't being talked about very much. And so the, the, the premise of the book monster of the own making is that people Uh, particularly in the United Kingdom, but also in the United States are being motivated to join the ranks of extremists off the back of social pressure from far left extremists, from neglect by the politicians and from smear campaigns from the mainstream media. Mm,
0: Gotcha. Now, and that's something here in the US, like, and I'm not exactly sure how it is in the UK. I know it's some bit has their issues there too. But here in the United States, as you can tell, like we are extremely divided. If you are in the least bit conservative, they automatically clump you with the far right. Right. And like you said, you know, just because you're conservative doesn't mean that you're racist or that you have any of those ideologies. Now, um, how has it been being a very publicly outspoken conservative after leaving the far right? um have you still gotten lumped into that whole well like, just because you're conservative you're a racist so
1: yeah it doesn't stop and what you find is you know i the reaction is different on both sides there's there's people who are in the conservative movement who don't really understand what i'm saying they they think oh well, are, are you leftist uh, are you like a hardcore socialist and the the thing is about me When I say I'm a conservative, I'm a European conservative. I'm left-leaning in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. I'm certainly not fully compliant with the sort of Republican Party platform in any way. Um, So, you know, I have people who consider themselves conservatives and Republicans in the US who think, well, aren't you just a leftist? No, I I don't think I am. Uh, And then I have leftists in the US and the UK who say, well, you're just still a Nazi. because well if you haven't joined the ranks of the left then you're just the same person aren't you and that's just you know it's dangerous it's dangerous because it 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 suggests that if you ever become wrapped up in an extremist movement and there's lots of reasons why you might do that Mm -hmm. for me for me it was the economy 2008 was the economic crash my hometown was um, being affected by large-scale immigration, particularly from Poland, so it wasn't even so much a race issue, uh, it, right. it was an economic issue. And then, I, I, as we've talked about before, you know, you can find the extremism later on. Um, it suggests to these young lads who join these movements out of uh, youthful naivety, that the only way out of it is to join the ranks of some pretty terrifying left-wing extremists who caused a, a, around $2 billion worth of damage in the violent riots last year, uh, which is somehow ignored right? Um, or you shut up and just disappear or you die, frankly, because a lot of these people don't think we deserve to live. Um, And I just think that's so wrong. If there is a a large contingent of young people who find themselves in the rank of extremists because it's an exaggerated um, uh, sort of embodiment of who they are, then we need to give them a way out. Cause if you don't give them a way out, then what's, what's the point? What are you trying to exactly. do? What are you exactly. trying to do? Are, are, you are, can... you, are you trying to make life as difficult as possible so so that people are forced to join the ranks of the left? They ha- like, and if that- nothing
0: else, it will, and, and you, you hit the nail on the head also. It's like you said, it's like a exaggerated form, but it's also, you mentioned uh, in your bio there, I mentioned how, you know, some of it was legitimate grievances right. or grievances in general that were being addressed by the extremist movement that were not being addressed right. in your non radicalized and non extremist movements, which then drew you in. And right. I know that's how it is today too. And I know, um, we have, I've, I've had a uh, Tom Ravlik on here and we've talked about how the media also plays into pushing people to extremes. Yes, um, 100%. What, what would be your take on that? I mean, we've talked before, and I know we definitely agree on a lot of the things. But for the listening audience, like, how do you perceive that the media can push it, whether it's to the right or to the left? Because it can push it either way, typically, well, I, one way I, or the
1: other. As I say, I think it's a three-pronged attack. The media has a big part in it to play, but the, uh, the, the politicians have a big part to play in this too. Um, So in the United Kingdom at the time when I was about 15, uh, 2008, we had the economic crash. We had large-scale immigration. Any talk of immigration was completely off the table. You could not talk about it. If you did talk about it, you were a racist. And it just so happened that the communities that were hit the hardest by it, the communities that saw the biggest changes, it wasn't just towns like mine which were hit by the economic damage, where Mm -hmm. we had young Polish lads, many of whom I knew, many of whom I was friends with, my family were friends with, and they were excellent. I've got nothing, not a bad word to say about the Polish. They're excellent. Um, um, but there were towns nearby that were hit in a different way. They were hit in a cultural way. The, the streets changed. Uh, there were social cohesion problems and so on. And when you can't talk about those problems, and there's only one movement that is talking about it, you bet people are gonna join that party uh, right. or join that movement. And, um, I think things got slightly better once Brexit happened, once we left the European Union. Finally, people had that chance to to say, hey, listen, we're not happy with the direction this country's in. We would like to leave the European Union. We've been saying so for many years. And we finally got that referendum and we won. And it gave people a sense of um, empowerment, right. uh, particularly working class people, because it was working class people that won Brexit, frankly. Right. Um, And that gave us a sense of empowerment. Then what followed was a four year bitter battle by the politicians to stop Brexit from happening, which put us back in our place, which frankly, I don't think the politicians realize how dangerous that was and what they risked doing. If they had ultimately ended Brexit and stopped it from happening, then we would have had a way bigger problem on our hands than we did with the British National Party that I joined and became active in from 2008 onwards. Uh, we would have had a way bigger problem. Thankfully, Boris Johnson delivered Brexit in a fairly good way. Um, and so I think things might have improved. Um, and in, again, in the UK, we for a long time, the media was dead against working class people, had no interest in representing our interests, particularly um, on issues like immigration. You had a couple of newspapers that would talk about things occasionally, the Daily Mail and so on. Um, but, you know, you still had huge sections of the working class uh, voters who, who were demonized, particularly if they'd happened to join a, a political party or a political movement that was deemed racist when really it was just addressing issues the politicians didn't want to address. Right. Um, and things have got better. We now have GB News, which is a mainstream media outlet in the UK. It's a, a, a rolling news channel. Um, that talks about these issues. I think things have gotten better in the UK. Not perfect, but better. Um, Which is the, all you can
0: really strive for because nothing is ever going to be perfect. Nobody's ever going to be fully satisfied with every single thing that's right. going on. But if you're able to at least strive to better, then it's improvement.
1: Right, so if you have a media that's willing to listen or at least mainstream media outlets that are willing to listen and represent your views, that's one tick off that three-pronged box I was talking about. That's one tick gone. If you then have politicians who are willing to listen, and we sort of have that with the Conservative Party, it's not the most Conservative Party you'll ever find, but um, it it is representing working class issues a bit better than the Labour Party is Mm. at the moment. So if they can keep that up, it's another tick gone. The third tick is you have to stop this relentless push from far left extremists who will not who will stop at nothing until everybody complies with the for want of a better word woke agenda that's dangerous i'm all about making people uh, empowering people uh, in- ensuring that communities are represented and so on um but when you have an agenda that's so uh, virulently anti-white um that frankly is only going to aid the white supremacy that you think you're fighting if you yeah. think it's bad now Wait until a few years down the line when you've done nothing but relentlessly trash white people, and particularly young white straight men. Just wait and see what's going to happen, because you're playing with fireworks. It's it's yeah. dangerous. Uh, and in the United States, what I see sadly is things not getting better, but worse. Um, my biggest concern. Um, sorry, this is a long answer, but my biggest. No, you're
0: concern. you're Keep going.
1: Is that the 2020 election, and I get why people don't like Trump. I get it. Um, people don't like big characters, people don't like, I don't know, egotists and whatever. Um, personally, I'm, I'm, I have some disagreements with him, but I would have voted for him if I, I was a, a, an American. Um, but what I saw in the 2020 election was the, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, the emboldening and the confirmation that violence works. What we saw in 2020 was that perhaps the, the biggest wide-scale riots in modern or recent American history that for somehow has been for some reason has been ignored. We saw entire black business districts, black-owned business districts burned down by activists who claimed that they were representing the interests of black people in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and in cities all across the United States, hundreds of cities, two billion in damage committed by left-wing extremists. No other word for it, extremists. And that was either ignored by the politicians, and when they did talk about it, they played it down. And the media talked about it, sort of, occasionally, as CNN said, it was uh, uh, fiery but mostly peaceful. I was
0: just going to say that, mostly fiery but mostly peaceful, like, it's...
1: Uh, But then contrast that with the reaction to the January 6th riot, which was equally contemptible not not equal in terms of damage not equal in terms of length not equal in terms of participation equally contemptible however right. but compare the reaction look at what nancy pelosi is doing with her partisan commission in the house of uh, representatives which contains only uh, members of congress who are virulently anti-trump it doesn't matter that she got a couple of anti-Trump Republicans on it. Does not make it a bipartisan uh, committee.
0: Right.
1: The way they're talking about Republicans—not just the people that attended this riot, not just the frankly idiots that attended it—but the way they're talking about Republicans as a whole, as if they support a violent insurrection, which I'll tell you, most Republicans do not support. No. No. Um, again, this is poking uh, and stoking the fire. This is not good for community cohesion it's not good for bipartisanship and if you want to continue down this path of demonizing and attacking uh republicans conservatives and as we've seen frankly again young white straight men um you're not going to get the result you think you get and it's my fear that maybe if they keep making this mistake if they keep uh, stoking this fire if they keep attacking people in this way and they don't realize yet that they're the ones pushing people to extremes. That's not to say people don't have their own um, uh, free will and so on, but there are reasons why people join these movements and extremism doesn't come from a void, it happens for a reason. If you haven't realized yet that stoking these fires is causing the problem that they complain about, then I'm pretty terrified that people so stupid have been elected uh, to represent the people but I'm increasingly becoming to the realization that maybe they know what they're doing. Maybe that's, that's the point. Maybe that's why they're doing it.
0: It's, it's, it's a very, very difficult thing to sit back and watch. And unfortunately, given both of our histories, we say anything about it and suddenly we're, racist again and it's like right. no it has absolutely nothing to do with the racism it has everything to do with giving legitimacy to certain grievances that otherwise would not like not and i've told this to people before it's like you scream that this is wrong you scream when it and it is and you scream that you want change and you want people to change yet people such as you, they leave that because they don't agree with the racism and everything else, but they're still the conservative mindset, but because they have not flipped to the other extreme are not accepted. And it's like, oh, well, you're still a Nazi.
1: Right. You know, I've seen people um, online. They they saw something I'd written and they said, oh, this guy's just a Nazi, blah, blah, blah. And then somebody commented back saying, oh, well, actually, he here's this counter-extremism work that he he does now. And they go, good. I hope he's giving back to his community. What's he doing for the LGBT community? What's he doing for this, that, and the other? It's like, oh, I see. Right, okay. So unless I meet all of your list of demands, I'm never redeemable. Yep. I, even if I joined the ranks of the far left, I'll never be redeemable unless I continually capitulate every single demand that they have. And you know that, that leads me to think as well that a lot of these people maybe don't believe in, in in what they say all of the time. It seems to me that a lot of people on the far left, and this is the same way with the people on the far right, are part of these sick communities where they're constantly trying to one-up one another to make themselves feel powerful. But more than anything, it gives them a sense of being a part of a community, being part of something. I find that it's some of, uh, this might sound rude, but I think it's true. Some of the most profoundly uninteresting people are members of these extremist organizations. And I don't think that's because they're inherently bad people or inherently uninteresting. I think it's people with extreme, um, what's the word? Uh, an, an extreme lack of self-confidence, put it that way, people with their own internal struggles. And I don't laugh at that because I've been there and it's easily one of the reasons why people join these movements, there are others. And in order to make themselves feel better, they put other people down. They be, uh, become part of these wider communities. They feel like they're part of something big and that's not healthy for anybody.
0: No, and it's, it's, it becomes more like a cult-like mentality. Yeah. Um, when you're, and you don't realize that going into it. Um, I know it's, it's, I get so frustrated. I actually turn like the news and I turn Twitter off, which I have coined Twatter because it just, oh, um, because people, every, everything isn't always a black and white issue. It, yeah. there isn't a one answer fits all. You know, because if that was the case, then, you know, everything that this woke thing has and the extremes have, then it would make it, if it was very simple and you could paint everything with a broad brush, then we wouldn't be sitting here having these conversations. Right. You know, Um, Cobra Dad was saying, Pride comes into play big time. That's why the far right and the far left are so extreme.
1: I, yeah, I think this pride uh, is a big part of it. I've seen people on on the, the, the far right who I've always deemed the cranks. And again, it's not a matter of trying to be rude. It's a matter of trying to cope <laughs> and deal with right. some of these people. Um, but what they were were individuals who wanted to be leaders of something. And so Every week you would see in the UK a new movement appeared. And sometimes they weren't even far right. Sometimes they were like counter jihadist movements or something like that. They weren't, nothing to do with race or white supremacy or anything like that. But it kind of feeds into that sort of radicalism. Um, uh, you would have the UK freedom movement or freedom for UK. And, you know, it's it's like that old Monty Python joke. Um, the um, Oh, damn. I'm even forgetting it myself. Sorry, it's been a long day. But the, the people... Okay the people's front of judea and the judean people's front that's the one yes um, you have all these organizations that keep reappearing with new leaders different people who have so much pride and so much um, sort of well it looks like a self confidence but really i think it's a lack of self confidence because they want to be you know the leader they want people to follow them and it's sad more than anything and yeah i've i've seen this on the on the left greatly that the, the parallels are, are pretty astonishing uh, I've seen it on both sides
0: it and, really is like you it, it's i the, the old joke used to be you know you go so far right re- go so far left you go right or go so far right and you go left because it's yeah. literally two sides of the same coin like
1: right. That's something I said in the book and it this isn't uh my my own theory this is a, a fairly well-known theory the horseshoe shoe theory is that the far left and the far right meet in the middle and of course they do um and I forget my point now, um, but yeah, the, the, it's called the horseshoe theory, the far, far right and the far left meet in the middle, and it's very common. And, you know, it ever since I've come out, ever since I've been trying to talk about ways that we can counter extremism um, by simply addressing grievances rather than ignoring them, I've been met by some of the most vile, extreme, Uh, people who describe themselves as uh, CVE, countering violent extremism activists. And it makes me sad that this is the kind of discussion we're having. The kind of people, you know, I've met some fantastic people too, but I've met some people who have left these movements on the right where they all want to be leaders and they've joined this CVE movement, which is pretty much 95% left-wing activists. Right. And they're not understanding, they're not willing to consider the possibility that young men might have legitimate grievances. And I've seen some who accept that young men in working-class communities might have legitimate excre- uh, excuse me, legitimate grievances, but they say that those grievances were really just about uh, capitalism. Now, give me a break. I'm from a socialist town. I'm from an old mining town. I'm from an old anti-Thatcher town that hates the woman for closing the mines. But that town wouldn't function without capitalism because we wouldn't have any jobs. It's not as simple as that. The UK in particular is not really a socialist nation. It's not really a capitalist nation. We're a mixed economy and have been for a very long time. We have legitimate grievances relating to social issues, relating to social pressure, From political activists relating to just the way we live our lives and how that might change with a massive influx of people and it's not always a matter of hatred but over time it can become a matter of hatred when these legitimate grievances are ignored and it concerns me greatly that people in this cbe movement are often so willing to dismiss people like me because what because I'm a conservative, because maybe I say some mean things of, about far-left extremists, or maybe because I'm willing to consider the possibility that a lot of people who left the far-right are still extremists. They just happen to become left-wing.
0: Right. And, uh, on the people? Far-right, far-left. The way they talk about the other direction is with the same. Oh, yep. Uh, Cobra Dad was also saying that he's friends with people of the far-right and far-left, the way they talk about the other direction is this, with the same hate, if you will, as the other. Yeah. Like they they preach, don't hate, don't hate, don't hate. Yet they spew hatred, much like and like you said, you know. Since you've decided to speak out against these things, I mean, you could have just been like, you know what, I'm just going to keep my own thoughts and opinions and the way that I think. I that we can help prevent or counter extremism to myself. And you would have probably went on your merry way. You'd still have some hateful things just because unfortunately that's how people are sometimes, but you wouldn't have near the pushback that you have now. Like did that ever, I'm sure you do. I know other people that do too. Like you don't just get it from the far left. You get it from the far right too, because not only you're speaking out against both extremes.
1: Right. Yeah, I, you know, I I still get it to this day, the uh, I'm a secret Jew, uh, I'm a race traitor, all that kind of stuff, you know. And again, it's from people who don't really have an accurate assessment um, of who I am. The people on the far right think that I've become some um, far left lunatic, but the people on the far left think that I'm still some kind of neo-Nazi. The thing is, there's nuance to everything. I, as I explain in the book, I was a part of a white nationalist movement I was friends with neo-Nazis. I knew people who are now in prison for trying to murder our local member of parliament and and various other crimes. I was in that movement. Was I ever a neo-Nazi? No, Um, and I I wouldn't say I was. Did did I use racist slurs? Yep. Um, Did I become increasingly extreme during my teenage years? Yes, Um, but I was never a neo-Nazi. I never actually, that's the thing, I never actually said a thing about Judaism. I never got into the anti-Jew stuff. Um, but I did get led down the, uh, the the pretty extreme racist stuff. And so there's a nuance to everything that I think is really important to understand. And actually that plays into the whole point about understanding really what's going on with, with young men. Uh, you, you can't paint things as black and white. You can't look at someone, oh, you're a member of a neo-Nazi organization, you're irredeemable, or you must completely convert to the opposite end of the spectrum and so on. There is so much nuance to this. Um, And I don't think people are willing to talk about that. You know, I I don't want to sound like I'm trying to make excuses for what I might have done or said, because I'm absolutely not. And I'm extremely upfront about everything I've done and said. Um, but unless we're willing to accept that there are nuances, that things aren't as black and white. You know, put it this way. I was a member of the BMP, the British National Party. And at the same time, traveling across Europe for concerts and art shows put on by pretty left-wing activists. I used to go to Yoko Ono concert. I love Yoko Ono, They're one of my favorite artists. But I used to go to Yoko Ono con- uh, concerts in Europe with friends I had from all over the world who were mostly gay fellas. I
0: was gonna say, that's definitely not conservative, Yoko Ono. No, not in the <laughs> You know, bro, I was this weird hodgepodge. I didn't
1: know what I was thinking or doing, but you, know, people find themselves in this movement. And if I'm out there going to these left-wing liberal art exhibits or, across Europe, and at the same time coming home and being a member of the BNP, which was a white nationalist movement, What do you think the chances are that I'm just a hardcore neo-Nazi that just hates everyone who isn't white? Do you think maybe there's a possibility that the reason I joined that political party in the first place was because I had legitimate grievances and concerns that affected people in my own town? What's a more sensible answer?
0: Yeah. Well, that's how I got involved was because of, a lot of it was the push from the far left and it's just, it's insane. Um, it, it's really insane because like, By I, was,
1: way, I hope you can still hear me Okay. I just had to put a fan on cause it's getting quite hot. I You're hope good. you can hear, me. Okay,
0: yeah, good. We can hear you still. You're good. Um, was a lot from that, uh, the hatred coming from the left then pushed me to the right. Right. And then I went down several different rabbit holes that I never in my life would have thought I would have went down. Because you get into it and you're like, well, I agree with this portion of it. Like you said, the economics of it, they're addressing that grievance. And a lot of people here in the US uh, that were a part of the group that I was, they were addressing the illegal immigration. So that drew a lot of people in. They might not have agreed with the racism and all of that. But unfortunately, because of the cult-like mentality, you go wind up going down that rabbit hole without even realizing it until it's too late a lot of times.
1: You know, something I heard so much last year from people who've never said anything political in their lives and this, what they told me and what they said to me by multiple people who have previously never had anything to say, not just about politics, but about anybody of a different race, of a different culture, a different background. They saw what happened with Black Lives Matter, not just in the US, but it happened in England and in Europe too. And they told me, Black Lives Matter is making me racist. And that's something we should take really bloody seriously. I heard that a lot. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't people saying, I woke up today and I hate black people. That's people seeing a movement that's condemning white people, teaching this this idea of critical race theory that all white people are inherently racist. And do you think that's gonna win people over? Do you think that's gonna make white people feel better at, at, about your movement? If your entire political narrative is based on the idea that white people are terrible, well, first off, why are you in a white majority nation? if it's so terrible? Because clearly it's not. Just look at what's happening in Afghanistan right now with the Taliban. If you want an example of what it's like to live in a non-Western nation, look at that. Look at what happens to young uh, young girls who haven't even hit puberty, who are being snatched and taken as sex slaves. If you want to talk about a nation that uh, discriminates against people based on race and so on, you should be looking beyond the West. But, only, but then to conflate what's happening in the West with the kind of horrors you see elsewhere, you're taking a society that is fundamentally equal, that considers all people to have the same value, and that yes, has some people who don't believe that, but for the most part they do, and you go out and riot and condemn the majority population of these countries, you're not gonna make people want to uh, maintain peaceful community relations. If it's not peaceful already because you're making it violent, then people are gonna ask themselves, why should we tiptoe around you?
0: Right. I agree. Uh, Universal Discourse, uh, and I, I think, I'll let you answer this first if I can answer it too, but she says, what justifies endorsing or supporting racism because of grievances?
1: What justifies it? Well, as is, I there any
0: adjust- is there any justification for it?
1: It's not a matter of justifying it. If you think that it's, well, how can you justify what you did? Okay, well, how about what people did to me? How about what people did to my town? How about politicians who for years ignored the concerns that we had, who uh, put a non-native uh, Put it this way. The reason why we had economic trouble in my hometown is because we had immigration into the region where people were using legal loopholes through the European Union to work for less than minimum wage. And it led to families in my town not being able to work, not making ends meet, and struggling. What justified the politicians to do that? The problem is, it's not a matter of justification for racism. Nothing justifies saying and doing things that are terrible and unfair to anybody. But what do you expect to happen when you put people in that position, when people are left with no other option? When you back people into a corner, things don't become about rationale and justification. It's what can I do to survive? And when you find that the only option you have, the only outlet you have happens to be a political party that has a past that is neo-Nazi violent uh, white supremacists and so on, that might be your only choice. And for me, it was. To be fair with me, there was a level of naivety. I was 15 years old. I didn't remember the 1980s. I didn't remember what the National Front, which was the precursor to the BNP, was doing back then. It didn't mean much to me because I didn't live through it. I didn't really understand it and fully see it. Uh, So if there is any justification, perhaps that's part of it. Um, But for those who knew about it and went there anyway, the fact that they were willing to go there, a million people in the UK voted for that party. The fact that they were going, willing to go there suggests that something was deeply wrong. So I don't think it's about justification uh, for why could you do something racist. It's a justification from the politicians and the media. But how the hell could you demonize and pressure people and smear people so much and for so long that they joined a neo-Nazi political party just to make their voices heard?
0: Very true. Like I, I agree. There is, there is no justification for endorsing or supporting racism because of grievances. Grievances may explain why somebody may or may not have joined, but that still doesn't justify it, doesn't make it right or anything of the sort. No. Um, the
1: biggest point. But at the same time, do, do we, just because there's no justification, do we, uh, consider these people irredeemable?
0: No. Absolutely not. I mean, and Cobra dad even said earlier, he said, every, everyone is redeemable. Like we we think about murderers that are in prison right now and everybody, a lot of people will give them more of a chance to redeem themselves than say a former neo-Nazi or a former racist.
1: That sounds face value, like a really extreme comment, but I think it's It's, true.
0: Oh, I've seen it firsthand. Sadly enough, I have seen it firsthand where somebody was more willing to give a convicted murderer a second chance, but would not give a former Nazi a second chance.
1: You know, there's there's a problem with that as well. Because when there's no redemption there's no reason to leave exactly and when there's no reason to leave you're just going to go further down that rabbit hole it's never going to get better you either get worse and worse and worse or you kill yourself yeah i the young men i knew are either in prison dead or have just disappeared and gone quiet Uh, and god knows frankly what they're doing now and I, i i hope it's nothing more sinister
0: right It's when you refuse to allow somebody the chance, at least to redeem themselves or the chance to go on a positive path, then like you said, you're giving them no re why, why should somebody leave? Why should somebody say, you know what? I don't want to be a part of this extremism and this hate anymore because they're going to hate me and they're going to tell me that I'm still a Nazi. Yeah. Even if I leave. And instead we should be, I think people get hung up way too much on the, um, what's the term I'm looking for? We get hung up on the Mm has-beens and not our, what can be. And there there are people that have said that they have changed that by their actions, you can tell that they have not, but. What about the ones that truly do change such as yourself? Um, and we've been asked before, I know, uh, Jeff Scoop was on here before and he's mentioned that he's been asked before how, um, you know, well, if, if I leave, do I have to become a communist or a socialist, right? Do I I have to flip to the far left? Uh And the answer is no, you can be more conservative. You can be more liberal. You can, you, you can be more centrist. Or you can lean more to one way or the other. That's politics. That politics don't just determine your humanity.
1: No, not at all. And think about it. If you as a a young person or not even necessarily a young person, frankly, I talk about young people a lot because that's what I've seen. But of course, it can happen to anyone at any age. Um, But if you find yourself leaning towards these extremist movements on the right that are perhaps not just against immigration, but want to permanently remove all non-white people who want to exterminate non-white people who have these conspiracy theories against Jews and so on. That's an exaggerated version of a, a, a restrictive immigration policy or a tight immigration policy. It's an exaggerated version of that. So doesn't it seem natural that if you sort of turn that down, you know, find yourself and become more reasonable doesn't it make sense that those people would fit more into the sort of conservative side of things? It's a way simpler transition than it is than jumping to the other side. If you have the only people willing to talk about how can we get you out of this movement and how can we give you a better life? For instance, like um, the counter extremist organizations in the UK that work for the UK government and they're they're preventing young people from becoming terrorists. If If the only option for them is to talk to someone who is a, I don't know, a socialist or a communist or a Marxist or, or whatever. Um, that's not going to make them want to leave. And it's also going to reaffirm any conspiracy theories they might have about uh, a, a global agenda that wants to silence all people on the right and so on. You need a variety of different voices. And it needs to be clear to anybody who wants to leave these movements that your future is open you don't have to move to this uh completely different worldview. you don't have to pretend to be someone else you can have your concerns you can have your voice um but it doesn't have to be this extreme voice because actually sometimes as well another reason why people find themselves in these extreme movements is because sometimes Saying and doing radical things is the only way to be heard. And that's something I've done too. I did it a lot when I was younger. Um, Even after I left the BNP and I was in the counter-jihad world and I was campaigning against Islamic extremism and so on, I would use shock tactics on purpose to be heard because it was the only way to get in the newspapers, the only way to get on the TV and make your voice heard. I think that says a lot about the media, the fact that they're desperate for people like that, um, but nonetheless, it happens. If we can show people that there is a future for them, that they don't have to either be silent or completely change their views. They can have a voice without resorting to extremism or hyper-partisan sensationalism. That's a good thing. And the only way we can do that is by having people reach out to these young people or anybody really um, from a variety of perspectives.
0: Absolutely. And uh, Jeff just messaged on Twitter and said, uh, great conversation, Jack and Acacia. If you have not covered Jack's book, please ask him from me to let the audience know where to go and get it. I personally think it's an important book for people to read.
1: Uh, thank you, Jeff. It's, um, so it's called Monster of the Row Making. and it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Simon & Schuster, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's on my Twitter. If you just do Jack Buckby, J-A-C-K-B-U-C-K-B-Y on Twitter, it, it's all in my header and stuff like that cool. it's been a little while since i wrote it and things have changed since then i wish i could update it but sadly you can't with paper <laughs> but you know the, the events of the last year i think uh, uh, kind of prove some of the points that i make in the book so does that
0: mean you're, you'll be coming out with another book
1: <laughs> i've written i've written too many it's too much effort for too little reward i don't know maybe in the future
0: maybe in the future maybe you and uh, jeff can uh, team up on one or something um I'll make it easier. <laughs> i was going to mention also cuz we have uh, i have discussed on here media a lot i've had tom Ravlik, if you don't know who he is he's a journalist from australia very good um but i saw your article on the post millennial about uh, PayPal and ADL's plan to de-platform conservatives will not result in less hate. Um, can you give a little brief overview of that? I'll put that in the uh, comments also for people to take a look at, uh, definitely check it out. Um,
1: yeah, I have a few concerns about that. So the PayPal, PayPal and the ADL are gonna be working together and the plan is to monitor the cash flow of extremist organizations. Now. It's important we've got to see how these organizations are funded and so on but if they're looking to find out if they're being funded in or, or using paypal in any way different than any other organization then i think they're going to be disappointed because what they're going to find is that they receive donations they spend the money it's as simple as that i think there's a something a little bit more sinister behind this um given the adl's broad definition of extremist uh, it's quite common for conservatives to be lumped into these categories. And so I'm concerned that what's going to happen is given PayPal's history of uh, de-platforming people who I would probably think are pretty abhorrent, if I'm honest with you, uh, some of the people they've booted, but I don't think they deserve to be booted from having their own online financial platform because that's just like booting someone from a brick and mortar bank in 1980. It's not a minor inconvenience anymore. Right. It's not- there, no matter how abhorrent someone is, we can't just be, you know, sidelining people and pushing them out of normal society. It's not right. Um, That's how
0: you create extremists.
1: Well, yeah. Like, If you leave people with nowhere to go, then they ain't going to get any better. Um, and I expressed some other concerns in the piece um, about whether or not booting these people from the platform is actually a good idea. Um, because if you boot them from the platform, then, then you can't monitor them. If you want to monitor these organizations, you should be wanting to let them use these platforms and see where it's coming from, and maybe use that to identify trends, uh, to see why people might be getting involved with them, and so on. But just this sort of caveman approach, and I, I call it a whack-a-mole approach. You know, Those extremists, get them, bang. Those next extremists, get them, bang. You can't just keep doing that, because when you whack them, they're not disappearing, they're going underground, and you'll never find them again. It's exactly. a ridiculous approach. And so what's concerning me about this PayPal ADL thing is not only their broad definition of extremism, but the fact that what they find is gonna be shared with people in Washington. And when it's shared with people in Washington, I know that it's gonna become this, this huge thing in the House of Representatives in some committee with some Senate hearing or so on um, about look at this far right threat, look at these far right organizations that are recruiting online. What are we gonna do about it? Well, first off, maybe we should address the agreement grievances and why those people exist in the first place. But secondly, if we're going to address those, we need to address the left wing organizations that are recruiting online and taking in millions of dollars from various organizations all over the world to fund what are literally violent riots uh, that result in arson, that have resulted in businesses and homes and lives being destroyed. If we're going to have an investigation into this, whether it's uh, the funding through PayPal and the ADL, or if we're going to have an investigation into what happened on January 6th and why that happened, We need an investigation across the board and it can't be about trying to demonize people. We can't just be trying to demonize people on the left. We should try and understand why they're in that place. We can't just be demonizing people on the right. We have to understand it. It cannot be partisan in any way.
0: I could not have said that better myself. Absolutely. Because it's right. You know, if you're going to apply one set of standards to one side, it needs to be applied across the board i mean it that's just the way it needs to be otherwise we are going to push people to extremes one way or the other
1: when people have nothing to lose they that's, they're the most dangerous the most dangerous
0: that's what i try to tell people uh we were talking i don't know if you're familiar with it the national socialist network done in australia um we're just found out about some stuff and so Many people are probably going to be losing their jobs and their livelihoods. And, you know, if they're doing violent things, I think there is a proper way to do that. And it should be addressed.
1: Well, a legal legal way. Exactly. Through the law. Exactly. Um, If you have people that are perhaps tied up in this movement or in the early stages and so on, I don't think blasting their names all over the media or so on or publicizing it and making a big old stink about it is actually the best way to do it. Um, Because once you destroy these people's lives, they may never recover. um, And they may just sink further down into that hole.
0: Right. And you are now giving legitimacy to grievances that might not otherwise had any legitimacy to them. Because now they can say, look, see, we told you they were coming for us. Yeah. Which then pushes people further in. But, and... I thank you very much for your time tonight. I know it's getting late, um, but I would love, love to have you on again sometime. Maybe you and Jeff can come on and we can have a powwow (laughs) or just have another coffee conversation. But I appreciate it. And everybody, uh, the book is Monster of Their Own Making. And it is available on Amazon. I did put the, um, there it is on the screen again. and. Jack Buckley, thank you again, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for having me.